and welcome to episode 13 of the Conversations in the Park podcast, a place for meaningful discussions about mobility created by Why Mobility. I'm Brittany Atkins, your host and resident mobility enthusiast. This time we're getting techie and philosophical, chatting about autonomous vehicles and their relationship with humans. Once again, we've brought together three amazing guests to analyse this subject with me. My first guest today is Paddy Latour, Head of Strategic Partnerships at Humanising Autonomy. Hi, Paddy. Please do introduce yourself to our guests. Hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. Yeah, my name is Paddy. I'm Head of Strategic Partnerships at Humanising Autonomy. So I've been with the startup for almost three years. And what we do, which is a little bit different in the AV context, is that we're focusing on vulnerable road users. So everyone outside the vehicle, pedestrian, cyclist, e-scooter, wheelchair user, and we're able to analyze, understand, and predict the behavior of people. So really kind of different take on it, but a really important one uh, that I think we'll talk about a lot. So yeah, at HA, we're really talking about also ethical AI, which I think is an important piece to this. How do we make it transparent, understandable for people? Um, and then we're also, of course, focusing on different use cases, um, but really, yeah, interested to, to learn more about what we're going to talk about today. And uh, yeah, looking forward to a good discussion. Brilliant. Thanks so much for sharing, Paddy. And we also have an old friend of the podcast, Yasmin Faj, COO and co-founder at GoGo Network, who you may recognize from episodes four and eight of Conversations in the Park. Hi, Yasmin, please do tell us a little bit more about yourself. Hi, everybody. Hi. Uh, yes, sure. Very happy to be back. Um, so I co-founded GoGo Network, which is a venture focus on operating autonomous mobility fleets in Europe. Uh, with a focus now on logistics uh, and uh, very happy to tell more during the podcast and I'll leave the floor for the other guests. Brilliant. Thanks, Yasmin. And last but not least, we have Alvaro Ramiz, Head of Business and Strategy at ZF Group. Please do give us a little introduction on yourself. Thank you, Brittany. So, uh, yeah, I'm Alvaro Ramiz. I'm the Head of uh, Business and Strategy of Digital Solutions in ZF. ZF is a a very large uh, German tier one is the second largest tier one in the world. And we have uh, digital solutions uh, for uh, connected vehicles and also for autonomous vehicles. And uh, I do a little bit of everything, m and corporate development and strategy in there. And I'm looking forward for the conversation today. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Very excited to have all of you here today. So to start the discussion, um, I'd like to set the scene by looking at some of the recent developments in the AV world. We've seen so much from Lyft planning to build a hybrid network of autonomous and driverless vehicles. Hyundai is running an autonomous car pilot study in Korea on their Ionic 5. And Geely is launching satellites for future Volvo, Lotus and Polestar AVs. So a open question to all of you. What are some recent updates that have impressed you and are making you feel inspired about uh, the future of autonomous vehicles? I, I mean, I, maybe I can start myself. I, it's, it's always difficult to differentiate between uh, marketing and reality, you know. So in this world, because there are so many companies that are involved in this uh, world that are looking for funding or they're looking for some attention, whatever it is. So, but I would say for me, uh, the one that I still believe it's uh, the most attractive one, it is the, the one from a cruise in, in San Francisco. I, you know, again, I'm not a hundred percent sure it is quite uh, limited deployment in many ways, but uh, it, uh, things are moving forward, you know, against the, this overall 
skepticism there is in the market about the feasibility of autonomy and the timeline. You know, it's a it's a positive thing, and it's very impressive because also they were not the the guys who were ahead in the market, and and now they seem to be at least on on paper seeing it from outside. Go ahead, Yasmin. Do share. For me, I was thinking, uh, I agree with Alvaro on the passenger side, but I think also for me, what is exciting is to see all the development that you can see with uh, logistics, but I would say, you know, for smaller last mile delivery um, or even like AV trucks that you can see in highway, I think I got a bit, um, you know, as everybody, not disillusioned, but uh, we have to be patient for at scale, at scale, at scale uh, AV fleets. But I think the logistic future is much closer. And uh, yeah, and that's what is for me the most exciting uh, lately. Thank you so much, Yasmin. And how about yourself, Paddy? I'm wondering anything on the ethical side that you're excited about? Yeah, I think first off, it's really interesting to see that it's quite international. We're having really good use cases from different countries that have different regulation examples, different market acceptance levels. So I think that's a really important aspect to it. Um, and then, yeah, I think what we're really looking forward to is to see that ethical doesn't just become a secondary, but it's actually you know a really important first requirement. Um, so some of these talk about it more than others. And, and to Alvaro's point about the marketing and how it's being uh, portrayed. So I think there's still some room for improvement, but the discourse is changing around that. Yeah, and can I make a, a point on that? Is the fact that to raise money, it's funny enough because uh, autonomy needs to be highly regulated to a scale as, uh, and commercialized. But anything regarding steps on, regarding regulation is not really on the top of the news, but it actually is the most important thing that needs to happen first, you know, re- regulation. So... Uh, yeah, I, I think I'm really looking forward to hearing from Patty also uh, her view on different things around the world. I like the idea of building as we mean to go on as well. So maybe a little bit more Black Mirror-esque question. Can cars actually outsmart humans? Will we see that? Any thoughts here? Is that a question, actually? Is that a, is, is <laughs> That's not difficult, I think. <laughs> yeah, not from how I'm feeling. <laughs> I, I would be, uh, whatever is answer, I would be controversial. Let's see. Uh, well, I, I think it depends what you compare it to. So I'm going to be... I, I'm sure to all of you happens the same that when you talk in a party, it happened to me this weekend at a birthday party of a friend. Uh, when you start saying that you work in autonomous uh, projects, people start asking a thousand questions to you. One of the most common ones is like, when is this going to be ready? You know, so, and, uh, but anyway, I, I think the, the, the main message is that depends what you compare it to. So if you compare it with the current human driver of a vehicle on the, on the road, uh, yeah, it's not going to be very, very difficult. The problem is that autonomy is not going to be, be compared with uh, a driver. The current driver is going to be compared with uh, an airline. You know, so more is going to be the regulation is going to be as strict or even more than what happens with airlines before a plane takes off. Uh, the training that the people involved in supporting uh, a plane they need to go through is tremendous. You know, so. That is going to take a lot longer, you know. So the first one, it will be somewhat uh, quick, I would say. Being better than current drivers and having less deaths on human-driven vehicles uh, is going to be somewhat easy. 
being as good as a plane, which is the safest mode of transportation, oof, that's going to be challenging. And I, I have no answer to that one. Yeah. Mm, really good point. Maybe my next question then is which areas uh, can we expect uh, kind of autonomous vehicles to really outsmart humans or where is that going to make the biggest kind of positive impact? Any thoughts from you there, Paddy or Yasmin on that? I think Yasmin uh, is going to talk about logistics and, and that piece. I think that's completely the right sector, the first step. Um, so I'll hand it off to you to, for those insights. Okay. No, I mean, I think also when we say outsmart, we have to really define what we mean because actually I think the human brain is, uh, I don't know if we were going to outsmart the human brain for driving, but I think just by being able to create control environment where, for instance, there is no other human driving in the same area being a dedicated lane or being an area that is the offense without cars will allow for actually systematic algorithm that then in a sense have less likelihood of irrational behavior or so in this sense you can get to maybe a closer to less accident ratio which maybe should be the objective of like at smarting not at smarting is how likely are you to really have an accident so then in this case i think uh, clearly, this is going to be the focus. And then in terms of benefits, I think, of course, like, I mean, benefits of giving time back to people when they're not driving or being able to have vehicles that are like, you know, free emission, that are uh, more adjusted to the cities uh, and so on. Of course, this will be like positive change both to the environment and I think to just humans in general, because except for like the fanatics of, you know, driving a vintage car on the weekend, most people would rather have one or two hours back a day than being stuck uh, in traffic, right? So, and this also we create, of course, like economic impact because there would be a positive reinvestment of either consumption if you're doing like, you know, shopping or if you're working during these hours or doing other benefit use or even leisure. But what I mean is that there's really right now a lot of time that is just lost. I think what's always great about asking these open-ended questions is I learned something quite telling about our guests. And I found that our virus seems to be a far more pessimistic uh, or have a far more pessimistic view of human intelligence in comparison to Yasmin, <laughs> which is good to learn and something I wasn't expecting to learn. So um, what do I want to ask us next? When, when maybe, what are our predictions on when we're going to feel that real shift towards autonomous vehicle. We have different targets, we have different predictions, but where, as for you as guests, do you feel like we are in the development phase? Are we looking at things in a few years' time, decades' time? Uh, when do you expect for us to feel a shift in autonomous vehicles, uh, perhaps you know, making improvements on our efficiency of travel and our safety of travel? Yeah, I mean, I can take that uh, at least to start and then I'll let Alvaro and Paddy add on. But I think, again, it depends really on the use cases. So having just a date doesn't make any sense for any technology. It needs to be for which use case and which environment. So is it like, uh, again, a private site? Is it a public road? Is it at which speed, right? Is it below 15, 5? Uh, is it on the highway? So... I think we will see a lot of different use cases growing up like mushrooms and then scaling. Uh, if the question is, when do we have uh, ride-hailing AV at scale? This is the same great question. I think it will be the ultimate use case because this is basically when uh, you can have high speed and very complex environment. But I think in today, we're already seeing 
uh, use cases, uh, as I was saying, in private side and logistic. Then I think it will be like highway trucking would be the next big one. And I think in terms of also lower speed shuttles, they should be also at the same stage. So I think first would be logistic use cases because there is no people inside. At the end of the day, you should see what is the simpler for the technology. So if there are no people inside, it's simpler. If it's in a control environment, it's simpler. If it's not mixed with other cars, it's simpler. Uh, if it's at lower speed, it's simpler. And then you see how, what are the use cases that you can sell over time. So I think between now and the next 10 years, we will see those use cases growing. Great point, Yasmin. Anything to add? Anything to add there, Paddy, Alvaro, on that? Yeah, I think we're in the middle of it, right? If you look at the hype cycle, it's going to keep going up and down. Uh, there'll be the next big thing that we talk about for a couple months, and, and then we get back to kind of these use cases. But there are industries that are far ahead of mobility, mining, farming. These sectors are looking at this and, and you know, back to the use cases less people, a lot easier. So um, I think we sit here thinking we have this groundbreaking idea and there's, you know, aviation as well. There is a lot of autonomous use cases in there already. So it goes back to how can we leverage those? How can we expand those and use them as examples for society to understand that this isn't the scary outsmart flying car that you're going to have. It's you're already interacting with it every single day. You don't even realize it. I think and that's that's what's going to have to happen for mass acceptance to happen. It's a brilliant point, Paddy. Also on, on that point is the fact that those industries, and you were talking about mining and on-yard automation and this kind of uh, use case, those industries, uh, and I've been fortunate enough to engage with uh, people from those industries and public transportation and many industries in transportation. And But those industries, funny enough, are the ones that are also more educated. So they really have a very good understanding of autonomy and improve their, their operations. When you go with uh, transportation of people, they're, they're still not very sure how this is going to fit, uh, what kind of use cases is going to be available for them and everything else. When you go talk with a mine operator, they know perfectly well. And they also know the KPIs they want to hit and the cost that they're willing to pay. So they they a lot more mature. And I think the rest of the industries, they need to go through that process. I mean, uh, autonomous uh, uh, vehicles in seaports, for instance, AGVs have been around for over 20 years. They learn a lot of things these 20 years and they understand how autonomous vehicles are going to be deployed in a seaport. So each industry is going to take some meaningful time to grow to that level of maturity. I feel like that's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about looking towards other industries before for kind of examples and maybe even like recipes for success and guidelines on on how to make, you know, something autonomous a reality and and what that means. So uh, you touched on, Alvaro, you touched on the point of we're obviously discussing, or maybe not obviously, but we seem to be going down the path of autonomous vehicles for transport for humans. What do we imagine the kind of new normal to look like? We've spoken a lot about this phrase, the new normal, kind of post-pandemic and what that means in the world of work and what that means in the world of life. But for once taking new normal away away from COVID and we think about new normal, perhaps with uh, the introduction of uh, autonomous vehicles, what perhaps could this new, uh, you know, fantastic normal look like for people transporting from a to B, how do you imagine it? Well, I, I think it, it, the regional uh, view has a huge impact to answer that question. So, for instance, if I, I really think in the U.S., autonomy, unfortunately, in many uh, 
U.S. Uh, cities and also probably the Middle East is going to be re- replacing the private car with uh, an autonomous car. You know, so um, actually things may even get better, uh, worse rather than better for a while because uh, people will use their private car even longer than they are doing it now. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen in 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 Europe, for instance, at all. I really think the regulator has learned a lot of things this last 12, 13 years from ride hailing, from scooter sharing, from bike sharing, from every type of new mobility that has come up, uh, car sharing. Uh, and they, they learned that they need to regulate it uh, in order for it to have a true impact into the city. And now, uh, I mean, I remember years ago talking with... Uh, city officials, they had no idea how to deal with uh, mobility that was outside the public transportation. Um, now they are so much more educated, they are so much more demanding, and I believe that will have an impact on the way autonomy will be deployed in European cities, and I believe European cities will be highly integrated on the transportation of people, on public transportation, so the, uh, use cases that will be uh, either replacing or complementary to existing public transportation. Otherwise, cities like Paris or Milan or London or Madrid, they will not allow autonomous vehicles roaming around for without any kind of control or logic. But again, that's I think there's going to be a two-world uh, approach to, to this. Uh, China, by the way, uh, I believe is going to be quite similar to the European uh, point of view because uh, of the already unbearable traffic that is uh, in Chinese cities. Yeah. And uh, Paddy, I want to ask you the same question, please. What do you think the new, or maybe, so I'll get away from this new normal phrase, like the better normal, what could that look like? To me, it's more user-centric. Um, so when you think about cities today and, and, and living in London, but, you know, why are bus stops where they are? It seems like kind of just randomly we've been placed on spots where, you know, we have a lot of room and we can have a bus park here, even though most of the time it's in really inconvenient spots for the rest of traffic when the bus tries to weave back in. So especially during rush hour. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, the, the idea is that understand how and why people are using infrastructure, whether in urban or in rural settings, understand what what's happening, what changes can be made to make it more efficient and safer, um, so is it changing traffic lights? Is it changing the layout? Um, is it getting rid of lanes? Whatever that needs to be, but really just thinking about what we do and why we do it, take that into consideration because now is the chance to do it. Um, say with electrification, you have a chance to change behaviors, um, to increase the acceptance, the uptake. So even that is part of a new normal, new uptake nowadays. Um, so we need to really kind of just, yeah, think about our behaviors why are we doing them? What's going on? How can we change them? How can we incentivize to change them and use that to create? And then through that, you will have new technologies. You know, there'll be something beyond autonomous. There'll be something in between again. So that's really kind of my my wish, I think, is that, yeah, the bus stop I go to in the morning that is randomly located somewhere in London uh, that someone decided to put there. Let's have a think about where else can it be or why do we have them so close to each other? It's really inefficient. Um, so these kinds of things. I really hope change in this new wave, whatever we want to call it. Yeah, maybe uh, to add on uh, Paddy's point, um, I agree. I think it's about like user centric and user like experience. I think you will just have like you have a membership for phone. You will have a membership for mobility that gives you different type of services from, you know, micro mobility to AV services. I think it will be much more like a shared uh, mobility world uh, where you will have 
don't have to go to the bus stop. I don't even think the bus stop will still exist. I think they will pick you up uh, at different virtual stops based on, uh, you know, for instance, when Uber is picking you up now and they say just walk 200 meters, I think it would be something like that, but you might on top have to share it with a couple of people, so microvans, and we'll bring you to different locations and that's it. And then I think also that uh, it will change a bit the way people look at real estate and cities, because if suddenly you don't have to worry so much about traffic, you don't have to worry so much about driving, then you know, on top of the trend of like uh, remote work, but taking this apart, I think then you don't need to think so much. I need to be so close to my office. And then I think then it will allow city to maybe spread out. So I think it will impact not only like just the way people move, but also the way people live and make the decision on cities and so on and infrastructure. Yeah. And to add to that point is how do you like restructure then the spaces that you have? So the bus stops that we don't need anymore, turn them into green spots, benches, yeah, the parking spots, but this is already happening. Like, what are you doing with all the parking slots in cities? How do you convert that in green spaces? How do you make sure the city are, like, now much more people-centric instead of car-centric, right? So that's all this story. I love how much has just come out of what you can... The, the change you can make to society from moving a bus stop. Like, I can just... It's like a domino effect of... You've helped out somebody with physical mobility issues. So you've given somebody access to transport. Maybe that impacts where they live, where they work. Maybe that impacts house prices around a bus stop. Maybe they can be more, you know, uniform because um, it's not so important to be within a few minutes walk. So, yeah, I hadn't realized the butterfly effect from just moving a bus stop, but I'm quite excited to see what could happen. Yeah, I mean, many bus lines uh, have not been... uh thought out at all and if they have it's ago that they, they looked into it so it has but but also it's the impact the economic impact i mean we have we, we cannot forget that public transportation is uh highly subsidized uh business uh in europe between 30 to 70 percent of the ticket price of a of a ride is being subsidized one way or another london is a little bit of an exception but uh Overall, this is the case. So it would also release, if we do bring more optimal options of transportation in the city, we'll release money to do other things, you know, uh, with that money, whatever it may be that the citizens of that uh, city want to do. Yeah. So we've spoken a bit about potentially moving bus stops. Any other quick wins for autonomous vehicles, things that you could see could quickly make an impact or with, you know, in maybe in cities, um, where we could, uh, you know, maybe are set up to already embrace that change. And then perhaps the opposite, maybe areas where you think it's going to be more of a struggle for AV to take off or, you know, AV, if we're taking a more optimistic view of human intelligence like Yasmin today, (laughs) things where you think the human is always going to outsmart or, you know, be the best to make a choice. But I think we spoke about the benefits of not having vehicles that are oversized and polluting uh, in city centers. So I think I hope this is a priority now uh, to think smartly on how many vehicles are needed for the population and what there is the best format they can use. Again, like, do you really need to own a car? I think we're going toward less car ownership. Do you need to, can it be green and electric? Can it have, even for logistic, can it be a size that makes sense for cities? So I think for me, this is one of the biggest impact. If like 40% of the emission right now are done by like 20% of 
trucks. 95% of the time, the cars are parked. Uh, like the space, like you have 1.2 people per car. Like all of this is just nonsense in terms of like, if you look at, you know, just the data and the way it's structured today. So if we can just get a little bit more rational, that, that allows to free uh, space in cities. And as I was saying, I think it will be just a benefit uh, to have more walkable space, more green space, more space to play, to have arts, to just make cities more human. And, and there's this cartoon, I don't know if you ever see, that shows like a cities and then shows all the streets and all the things that are done for cars and then remove it and make it an empty space. And it's insane. Like you realize that like basically there's almost more space for cars than for like uh, for humans. So I think that's one one big thing. And then as I was saying, I think of course, like there's also all the fight about people that have reduced mobility, be it by handicap or being by just living in rural areas. And so at the end of the day, you're creating a much more affordable capillar network because 70% of the cost of a driving is the driver. And so if you can recreate routes that are, you know, going to rural areas, if you can allow people that cannot drive to actually have a right to a place where they can work, you're just, re you're also making the society more cohesive as a whole, right? So for me, there's like social benefits also on top of a sustainability benefit and architectural infrastructure benefit. Fantastic. Any more quick wins to AVs to add or maybe uh, limitations for AVs to add? I think it is the chance and, you know, the, the word outsmart, I think, is, is quite the, the buzzword here, controversial one that we keep jumping on. But I think you have to start by teaching machines how to understand behavior. It's not you can't go from zero to 100. You have to first kind of get the neutral ground. Right. And so and, and kind of the idea is that, you know, we as humans, we understand what a pedestrian is going to do based on their body language, based on their behaviors. Machines will be able to understand the same things if we're training them right, if we're doing it the right approaches. So I think you have to start there first, then they can react more humanly. So it's not about this art smarting, but it's then the opportunity to improve safety, efficiency, um, you know, the things being electric as well. So it's not about outsmarting, but it's about, I think, working together and having this kind of more harmonistic world is maybe how, how I would perceive it to be. Anything from you, Alvaro, on that? No, I was trying to think on the challenging side, and I have to admit I it's difficult not to see an area where autonomy is going to bring a, a benefit, even if it's not the whole thing, but uh, some benefit. So even, even areas where you think it's quite optimized, uh, transportation, so for instance, areas with high density that are being served by subway or train, uh, or buses, uh, where the cost of a driver is a very, very small amount of money overall. So taking the driver out is not a very economically... I still believe there are many things, because as we were saying before, it's about not changing only the, the getting rid of the driver. It's about changing the whole uh, business concept and, and doing it, as Patty said, more customer-centric, you know? So... Um, yeah, I think we'll. I don't. I don't see any negative one or limited uh, impact where autonomy. I think it's going to touch everything, really. Well, that's good. Well, you give me a really nice seamless segue into my ne next question. So I'll thank you for that because I'm conscious that we're all coming from the bubble of perhaps mobility expertise and you know enthusiasm. So it's very easy for us to get excited about the opportunity for change and what that might bring. As we know, uh, with any change, you've got the kind of trust issue to combat. So there will still be 
many people in the world that think, no way would I ever get ever get in a driverless vehicle. And I don't want to see driverless vehicles on my street. Um, you know, I don't trust technology because my Wi-Fi cuts out or this happens. And what happens if that, you know, if I'm on the street or I'm in the vehicle. So um, I'd be interested in knowing what you think the the kind of general confidence level is of perhaps the average consumer on embracing, you know, the change uh, towards autonomous vehicles and how we think um, that might that may change and, you know, when we think that may change. So I'm yeah. going to have a very... Go ahead, Paddy. But I have a strong opinion on this subject. So go... <laughs> I'm excited. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of pressure, my answer, but... Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I think people don't understand it yet. Um, and therefore you get different views, opinions, different polls, you know, when you really think about it, like, and, and it goes back to the marketing, how it's being advertised, but because people don't fully understand, they hear words like AV, AI, deep learning, those are terrifying words to the general public. They don't understand what they mean, what's encompassed. They don't trust them and won't use them. So this is the ethical AI component, actually, is that mandating having government mandate that you know ai should be explainable that you can look at the code that a, a person not an engineer a regular person can understand why the software made the decisions it did then you'll trust it and you're more likely to use it um so that's kind of this idea behind it i think until we get to that point and then you know the aviation industry alvaro you know i completely agree that aviation is a really good use case and example But think about how many people it takes before their plane takes off, how many checks, balances, how much training pilots need uh, to be able to use the planes continuously. The right the idea is for autonomous vehicles, will I still have a driver's license because I don't need to operate it? So it's almost this like we in the industry, we keep looking at this example being like, oh, you know, you sit in self-flying self planes all the time and it's great. But that's actually maybe a bad example because that takes so much safety, compliance, regulation. Um, you know, having machinery. So yeah, so to summarize, I think there's an opportunity. I think there will be uptake, but it has to be the right use cases. It has to be marketed correctly. It has to be supported by government the right way. Um, so it takes an ecosystem. It won't be a single player that changes our behaviors. It won't be a single use case. Um, so what Jasmine has been saying about different use cases, different acceptance, but it will be possible. We have a little bit way to go, but uh, yeah, I'll stay optimistic today. <laughs> Thanks, Paddy. Okay, um, I agree with Paddy uh, with the concept that like I don't think people really understand yet what it is, and there's a lot of like uh, you know unconscious phantasma uh, about the concept of autonomous driving um, that has been driven by you know I think movies, a lot of things. But I think at the end of the day, it's like people don't have. I, I but I disagree with the fact that people have to understand the algorithm. Like nobody understands how a plane works, and they all go in there. I think when people see like the benefits of a solution that works for them, that is less uh, costly, and that has, uh, you know, and it works, they just use it. Like if you take the example of Voyage in Miami, they are doing like a service in a resident uh, old people's, uh, you know, home, and you would say they are the less likely to understand and to enter, but they don't care. Like it allows them to go see their friends uh, easily in another location without driving, and it's perfect. And it reminds me always what my co-founder said about cell phones when they launched a company on fiber optics. 
when you had when you did all the surveys and I think they are still public, like nobody wanted a phone to call in the street. Like everybody was like, I will never use this. And now like ninety five percent of people are saying I don't use it. And I, so <laughs> I don't want to be judgmental now on humans because I I think we're very smart, but I don't think we always know what we want until it's there, right? And I think the moment there's a solution that works, I think acceptance will be there. Oh no, Yasmin, you were meant to be our ambassador for human intelligence. You were the one earlier <laughs> protecting well, us. I, but now. I, be, I would have loved to be neuroscientist. <laughs> it's not my failed vocation, but I think this is the biggest mystery on earth to solve. <laughs> that we use two percent of our brain and we don't even understand how, but it's another podcast topic. It doesn't matter how you position it, Yasmin, it's fine. You've, you've joined us all in pessimism that tech has already outsmarted us. <laughs> We may as well all just give up. <laughs> Avara, any points or thoughts from you on the on the trust piece? Yeah, just reinforcement of what Patty and Jasmine said. I, I remember years ago, I, I've been working in mobility services for a few years in different types. And years ago, I we were looking to launch a car sharing, a free float car sharing in a European city. I remember we did all these uh, studies before deciding the city and also this uh, engaging with the potential customers there. And it was so difficult because it was years ago when there were no many mobility services. So people didn't really understand this concept that you could see a car on, on your phone and you can open the car and you just drive it and you drop it somewhere else. Something that is so easy to understand now. And I, I remember uh, sometimes we would be like going completely blind into launching into that city because we would like, okay, people, they're not going to like it. And many times uh, that was a complete opposite. You know, it was a, a, a very big success many times because once people really engage and, and understand how it fits into their lives, that's just that, then everything else, all the fears they had, all the concerns, all the things they didn't fully understand, it's really solved. We actually measure everywhere success was the second ride, not even the first one. The first one, they're too nervous. They are trying to understand what's going on and everything else. Maybe it's a little bit uh, exciting, uh, but the second time they really try it, then they start thinking, uh, oh, okay, uh, maybe tomorrow I can take my kids uh, to the doctor with this thing, you know? So uh, they start really fitting into their lives. And that's when... They, all the concerns regarding technology and everything else, they, they overcome them. Yeah. Thank you so much. And just to, to echo that and going off that, um, it's, right, it's about the level of explainability, correct? But what Yasmin said, definitely. I think we're overcomplicating it. You know, we talk about autonomous vehicles. If you talk to someone about a driver assist or ADA system, you know, as simple as the reversing sensor on your car, you know, that that is a enabling technology to autonomous vehicles. If you sold it as that to people, it'd be like, ooh, People don't care. Like in Paris, there is for like the last seven or ten years, we have like two autonomous subway lines. So there's no driver in the subway. Do you think anybody has asked, oh, there's a driver in the subway or not? Nobody cares. Like the subway is always on time. It's cleaner than most of the other line. It goes faster. Everybody's happy. So you just need to have a product. Yeah, yeah. It goes back to we're using these technologies all the time already. Um, the less people know, the better sometimes. <laughs> Well, this has been such an enjoyable and educational session. So thank you so much, Paddy, Yasmin, Alvaro. A few, I always jot down a few takeaways for myself, um, what I've learned from these discussions. And I like the few that have 
uh, really stood out to me that we can predict and learn so much um, about the future of autonomous vehicles from industries that are already really leading in uh, autonomy that others might not be so aware of. We can look at mining and aviation industries, um, the importance of using consumer-friendly language and education and marketing to not turn people away and um, just focus on the, you know, the benefits to you rather than the ins and outs of intricate technology, which can start uh, kind of evoking fear in people. And then finally, one that I just think is humorous, that we have a group of very intelligent individuals all looking and speaking to one another, but we're still putting our faith in technology, being smarter than everybody here <laughs> on today's meeting. So if that isn't, you know, if that doesn't spur you or that isn't an advertisement to learn and get involved and invest in autonomous vehicles, I don't really know what will. So thank you so much, Paddy, Yasmin, Navarro, for this very insightful session. If our guests want to get in touch after the show, how best uh, is it for them to do that? And I'll try to go in the order that I introduced you in. So Paddy, if anybody wanted to get in touch after listening to today's episode, uh, how can they find you or reach you? Yeah, um, our company website, humanizingautonomy.com. There's a get in touch button. Um, and that is the easiest way to do it. <laughs> Perfect. And yourself, please, Yasmin? Yeah, I think uh, my email uh, or website email, I think it's uh, info at gogo.network or yasmin.gogo.network. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. And Alvaro? For me, it's uh, LinkedIn, probably the best option. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Actually, LinkedIn is even better for me. Let me copy this answer from Alvaro. <laughs> <laughs> There we go. Well, thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you to our listeners. And I hope you enjoy today's episode and look forward to seeing you at the next. Mm -hmm.